Lord, we ask you to bless this time as we look at your word. We ask you to guide and lead us into what you would want us to see. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Jeremiah chapter 4. We're going to be starting at verse 8. So far in this chapter, God has called Israel and reminded them of his promises. He exhorts Israel to repentance. And that's where we're at at this point. It's in the middle of this exhortation for repentance. So starting at verse 8. For this, gird you with sackcloth, lament and howl, for the fierce anger of the Lord is not turned back from us. And it shall come to pass at that day, saith the Lord, that the heart of the king shall perish, the heart of his princes and the priests shall be astonished, and the prophets shall wonder. Then said I, Ah, Lord God, surely you have greatly deceived this people in Jerusalem, saying, You shall have peace, whereas the sword reaches into the soul. At that time shall it be said to this to this people and to Jerusalem, a dry wind of the high places in the wilderness toward the daughter of my people, not to fan nor to cleanse. Even a full wind from those places shall come unto me. Now also I will give sentence against them. Behold, he shall come up as the clouds, and his chariot shall be as a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe unto us, for we are spoiled. O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness, that you may be saved. How long shall you shall your vain thoughts lodge within you. For a voice declared from Dan and published affliction in, from Mount Ephraim, make you mention of the nations. Behold, publish against Jerusalem that watchers come from far country and give their voice against the cities of Judah. As keepers of a field are they against her roundabout because she has been rebellious against me, says the Lord. Your way and your doings have procured these things unto you. This is your wickedness, because it is bitter, because it reaches into your heart. All right, so we're going to look at this statement. Uh, God has been calling them to repent, asking and begging them to repent. And so he says in verse 8, Gird yourself with sackcloth, lament and howl, for the fierce anger of the Lord is not turned back from us. And this is kind of a strange statement. That's why I'm good. You know, he was telling them, repent, repent, repent. And now he's saying, you know, gird yourself in sackcloth. That is to be the garment when they really repented. Uh, we would almost say burlap. It would be that itchy. And they were to put that on themselves. And, and it wasn't comfortable. It was to show repentance. And he's saying, gird yourself and lament. Cry out, wail, <laughs> and cry. And it's kind of interesting when you think about many times in the scriptures, uh, when you think about Jairus' daughter, when he went to go get Jesus and she died in the process of him getting him, and they get there and the people were wailing and lamenting and making a loud crying noise, and this is what he's referring to. And these people were good at making these loud noises. It was all show in, in most cases loud noise and this is the problem that Israel has had over the years all the way from way back everything they do is for show God said do this we're going to do it our heart's not in it but he said go three times to the, the temple or the tabernacle and sacrifice we're going to do it he says make our sacrifices in the morning and the evening we're going to do it but their heart was not in it and God is calling them to repentance, which is to turn your heart. Not just go out and make sacrifices, 
not just make it look like you're doing the right things, but to literally have your heart turned. And here he's saying, do all of these things, you know, um, go out and lament, well, for the fierce anger of the Lord is not turned back. He says, you're not repenting. God is not turning away his wrath. And this is the hard thing, especially for us in our day, because everybody tells you, well, God is love, God is mercy, God is grace, and yes, he is. But he's also a God of judgment and correction and oftentimes that wrath that comes along with it. When we deserve his anger, his anger can come. And his anger is not there to to beat us up and make us feel bad. His anger is there to turn our hearts. And it's really his anger is through his love. Because some people need a harsh discipline to turn around. Um, and I've shared this before. You know, I've, I had uh, one very stubborn, hard-willed son who needed lots and lots of discipline. I had another that if you just looked at him with anger, he fell apart. You know, uh, and, you know, God knows what it takes to get us to turn. If we're hard-headed, stubborn, he knows that he has to beat us with an uh, eight-by-eight. <laughs> I'm going to say a two-by-four. You know, he comes in with the eight-by-eight. If we will turn at his word, he will send his word. And he will do whatever it takes for us to listen. And here he's telling them, I asked you to turn. I've asked you. I've asked you. Now I'm going to come with you, come at you with all of my wrath. And you're going to deserve it. And this is the really hard thing for people to understand. You know, discipline, if it's done for discipline's sake, is good. All right? It hurts, otherwise it's not discipline. All right? Discipline is designed to make me feel bad enough that I don't want to do it again. And the problem we have even in our country nowadays, most people when they go out and commit a crime get a slap on the wrist you know, and it really is all they get. And there's no deterrent to say, well, hey, all I got is slap on the wrist. I can, I can take slap on the wrist all day long and not, and not be worried about it. God does not give us a slap on the wrist when he's trying to get our attention. He'll start out with a word and he'll keep escalating to the point where he goes, okay, I need to beat you, <laughs> beat you with a whip and all that to get you to pay attention. Then that's what he'll do. And he is really good. And here he's saying, my anger is not turned back because you have not repented. You have not repented and I am not going to relent in this discipline that is coming your way. And the response from the prophet, uh, oh, excuse me, and in verse 9, and it shall come to pass in that day that the Lord, that the Lord, the, says the Lord, that the heart of the king shall perish, the heart of his princes, the heart of the, and the priests shall be astonished, and the prophets shall wonder. The heart of the king will vanish or be lost. In other words, he'll have no strength. And we think about this. If the king really cares about his kingdom and his people and everything's going wrong, then the king is going to be very disappointed. Now, unfortunately, we don't have a lot of true leaders anymore that care. But this is the thing. When you disobey, and especially if you're a father or somebody that has authority or a mother or whatever, pastor, <laughs> 
it affects those around you. And it should say, hold it, something is not right. When I was going through my long rebellion against God, and it wasn't serious rebellion, it just wasn't doing what he told me to do, which is rebellion, and he's coming down on me with the two by four, my family suffered. And it took me a long time to realize that they were suffering as much as I was. For me, it was like, oh, no big deal, I can go through this, I am, I'm stoic, I'm, I'm strong, I can go through this. We also break down sins from little sins to big sins. Rebellion for God is rebellion. You know, now we kind of we look at it and say, well, I wasn't that rebellious. I wasn't out there causing wars and, and causing problems. It's all the same. But as far as God's concerned, it's all the same. Now, consequences for, for different levels of sin would be different. All right. God says we've all sinned. I've told a lie, I've sinned, I've murdered somebody, I have sinned, and that both of those will keep me from his presence and send me to hell. The consequences for the two in this world are completely different. All right? I lie, people just don't believe me anymore. I murder somebody, and I'm going to be punished great, greatly for it. But in God's eyes, as far as his righteousness is concerned, both are equally evil. This is why Jesus said, you know, you've heard it said, you shall not commit adultery. He says, if, I, if you've even looked at a woman with lust in your heart, you've committed adultery in your heart. Now, the, and then people will go, well, I might as well just commit adultery if I've already committed it. No, the consequences for the look, the lustful look, is a lot different than the consequences for going out and committing adultery. And there are consequence difference, but the sin issue is not different like from God's perspective. And you'll be out of fellowship, you know, either way. <laughs> so this is the problem that we have is, as human beings, we grade, our, we grade all the sins. Well, you know, this person's okay. Well, yeah, they tell a few lies. They're a little bit proud. This person's terrible. They're, they're an adulterer. They're a fornicator. And they're a thief. You know, I don't want anything to do with them. But this liar, they lie all the time, but I, I, can, I can deal with that. You know, what a strange way of thinking from God's perspective. From a human perspective, we go, okay, yeah, there's you know, these grades of sin. And we even grade murder, obviously, first degree, second degree, manslaughter. You know, first degree is really bad. And yes, I agree. If you'd plotted to kill somebody, that's pretty bad. If I just ran over them because they stepped out on the road when I was going too fast, yeah, yeah. It's still, it's still a murder. But, you know, and we rate it in there and say it's not that big a deal. You know, somebody died. It's a big deal. And from God's perspective, but even God had that in the Ten Commandments. If you had manslaughter, you ran to the city of refuge. Uh, if they agreed with it that it was manslaughter, you had to live the rest, of the rest of your life or the rest of the high priest life in the city of refuge, and you were protected. Uh, so God had that same type of thing. The consequence was different. But in the heavenly spiritual world, sin is sin. And we have to understand that. And there are people that believe that there's levels of hell depending on what, <laughs> how bad your sin was, and I'm not sure that I agree with that. Hell is pretty bad. You burn for eternity. Your conscience burns for eternity. It's utter darkness. It's utter pain. It's utter loneliness. I don't know how you could have, I have less loneliness, less, less burning, or I have more burning and more loneliness. I don't 
don't understand how that could happen. So I don't believe, I don't believe that there's levels of hell. You're still there for eternity, so I slow burn, I slow burn for eternity or I cook for eternity. If it's, you know, I, don't, I don't know which would be worse, actually. Dante, Dante had seven levels, depending on how bad you were. There's a lot of theologians that believe that there would be, because from their mindset, they're saying it would be logical and, and, and very righteous for God to punish some people more than others. But that is because they're not looking at sin from God's perspective. And one sin, the sin of eating, disobeying God and eating the fruit led to the destruction of this world and, and all of mankind. And that wasn't even murder. You know, that was just being disobedient and eating a fruit that they weren't supposed to eat. If that led to the destruction of mankind, you know, what would he have to do for what we consider bad, bad sins? So I don't believe, I personally don't believe that there's levels of, of, of hell. From the, like I say, from the way I know God sees sin, I can't see that being the case. Uh, you've rejected him. That's the sin that they're all going to be sent to hell for anyway. And that's the thing we have to remember. Everybody who goes to hell is going there because they rejected the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. That's a huge, if you really think about the, that violation alone, God came to this world and paid our sin debt. And people reject him. Slap him in the face. I don't want what, you, what you've given me. That's enough to be permanently sent to the bottom, bottommost hell if there, is a, yeah, if there is any levels. It would be enough to say, you, des- you rejected my free gift that I gave to you freely. If there is, a, you, you skip all the levels. Go right down to the bottom. Somebody as evil as Hitler or bin Laden, yeah. if somehow they prayed right before, they, right before they died and accepted Jesus, they'd be in heaven. We have a hard time with that mentality because we don't fully recognize sin the way God sees it. You know, the heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Who can know it? And if we really thought about how wicked we are, you know, and no matter how good we might think we are, how easy is it for us to get a lustful thought? How easy is it to think, you know, if I could just get away with this, I would take that person out? How easy is it for us to swear or curse or, or take God's name in vain? You know, we have an evil heart, and if we fully understood it, we'd recognize that that evil heart deserves punishment. And it's only by the grace of God that I get what God gives me. And this is the beautiful thing, that God is saying, I just want you to repent. The king's heart, it melts when he sees all the stuff that's going on, it says. And the, the uh, princes and the priests, it says, they are aston- astonished, which means amazed. They're appalled by what they see because they're seeing the judgment of God coming down. And you know, it's very interesting when you see this, and you'll see this all the time. People go, I just can't, you know, I just can't believe God let this happen. Well, why shouldn't he have let it happen? It's actually his mercy that you didn't get worse than what happened. But that's not how people see when they're not following God. They just see, I don't understand why God would let this happen to me. You know, I am just so perfect, I can't understand why God didn't, you know, I've been trying. And God's saying, you have not repented. You have not followed me. And Christians do the same thing. God, I just don't understand. 
I don't understand what's going on. And oftentimes I'll tell God, God, I don't understand, but I trust that you're still in charge. You're going to work all things together for good. And this is the important thing. Where is our attitude when things come against us? What is our attitude when everything happens? Job, until his, until his four friends showed up, had a pretty good attitude. And he goes, tells his wife, you know, shall we accept God's blessing and not accept the, the hard times? He had a good attitude until he had four friends pressing him every day with how bad he had to have been because nobody gets beat up like he does without having a reason. And continued harassing him and harassing him and harassing him. And toward, toward the end, he's going, okay, you know, God, I don't understand this. And, you know, this is why it's very important for us to be very careful. Who do we surround ourselves with for advice? Who do we get counsel with uh, when we need, need hard times? Do we go to the world and be hearing what we want to hear? Because isn't that what happens in the world? People will go and they'll talk to people to hear what they want to hear. I'm going to go over there because that person's going to tell me just what I wanted to hear, and now I've got two people telling me what I want to hear. I'm going to go to this person over there. They're probably going to tell me the same thing. I'm going to go to them. And we don't seek out godly counsel. What does the Bible say? And go to somebody that's probably going to disagree with us when we're trying to justify ourselves. In other words, but we go to the world, well, you know, you really should, you know, get rid of that person because they're, they're just so mean and nasty, you know, divorce them. You know, get rid of that person, you know, get out of that job because, and God may be saying you're the witness to that job. We don't know. Maybe it's the right advice. I don't know. But what does the scripture say? Where should we be with the scripture? And we need to make sure that the advice we get is godly advice from the scriptures. And I've had people go, well, you shouldn't be doing such and such. And I'm going, okay, give me a verse for that. I've had, I've had a guy thinking that he could tell me what to do because he's a little older than I am. He goes, you have too many Bible studies in your church. I'm going, okay, give me a verse for that. And he goes, well, you know, the, the psychology, psychologists are saying, I go, no, 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 no. I said, give me a verse for that. I know what the psychologists say. They say I'm taking people from their home. They say, you know, keeping them from their family. Bring your families is what I say on that. <laughs> but, you know, I go, what, I'll tell you what the scriptures say. The church met daily and, and listened to the apostles' teachings. If I could be here daily, I'd be here daily. I have to take some day off once in a while. <laughs> But otherwise, if we, if we could do it, I'd be here every day. I had, I had more Bible studies before I took the job at the prison. But, because that's, I was here a lot. You know, so the question is, where are we getting our counsel from? Are we taking it from what the world says? Or are we looking at what the scriptures say and finding good, solid counsel from the scripture? And that's very important. Because if I'm listening to the world, I'm going to make bad decisions. Now, they'll tell me I'm making all kinds of good decisions, you know, but they never pan out in the long run. And it says these people were astonished. And then verse 10 is kind of an interesting one. Then said I, Ah, oh Lord God, surely you have greatly deceived this people and Jerusalem, saying, You shall have peace, whereas the sword reached into, unto the soul. How many times do people 
get amazed. Now, I have found this so often people will say, why has God let this happen? And I find it really amazing when, when, they're, when they're not saved. Or even worse, they say they don't believe in God. And then they'll go when bad things happen. Why does God let this happen? Well, probably because you're not following him or listening to him. Uh, and he's trying to get your attention. And that is what God is usually doing for us. When bad things are happening in our life, and I've said this over and over again, we could be Job. I mean, it's a possibility we're Job and we're just going through a trial. Our first step, though, is saying, God, is there some area that I have not repent, that I need to repent in? Am I getting what I deserve? Without being heavily introspective because we're deceitfully wicked, we'd find something that we go, okay, I deserve this. All right, but if you have to dig really deep to find something that's causing, causing your problems, that's probably not where it's at. It'll be something that God has been telling you about, teaching you. Uh, I've been listening to the radio, and when I start hearing these pastors all on the same topic for a week, and I'm going, okay, God, what am I supposed to learn here? Because obviously I'm supposed to, especially when it starts hitting me, I'm going, okay, I've got to work on this area. All right, God, I have a place of repentance. If I ignore those teachings, then God will start breaking out the, the switches, then the two-by-fours, <laughs> eight-by-eights, eight the whips, whatever it takes. But he starts out, God starts out with a gentle prod. And then if we have to go down to the place where he's bringing out the whips and chains, <laughs> and we're going, God, I just don't understand why, you're going, why, why all these bad things are happening to me. He goes, well, maybe you might want to think about the, all the progressive discipline that you've had to get to this point, all the things that you've ignored to get to this point. Now, if there's not something that really stands out, then you can say, okay, I'm Job. You know, what was God's testimony of Job? He is a perfect and upright man who hates evil. That was God's testimony of Job to Satan before all of this stuff happened to him. There was nothing in Job's life from what we can see that showed that he deserved what happened to him. Now, as he starts speaking, we find out that he's not as perfect as God's testimony of him was because he says a few things that are, shows that he doesn't know God as well as he should. So even when this happens and we don't feel that we deserve the punishment, God will show us something in our life and teach us and change our doctrine. Job fully believed that, like his friends did, prosperity gospel, obey God and prosper. Now, he also understood that God could take it away and give it back and take it away and give it back. His friends did not understand that. But it's kind of interesting. When you read the book of Job, it's a very funny book to read. They, they accuse Job of being something. He goes, I know what you're saying is true, but it's not true in this case. I have not done anything to deserve all of this. But he's always agreeing with them. I agree with you on the prosperity gospel that you do good and you get blessed all through the book. And it's, not, it's all in flowery poetic language, but that's all that boils down to. Job, you, you've done something, that's why you're not being prospered. Job, I agree with you guys, but you know, it's not true of what I'm going. I believe, and, and all through it, he's agreeing with them and then defending himself because he's agreeing, not, he's agreeing with their doctrine, but not in their interpretation of it being applied to him. 
And so we see this whole process going on. And many times when God is disciplining us, he's trying to teach us something about what we believe about him. And this is very important for us to understand. Now, if we're being disciplined for doing something wrong, we know, okay, I needed to do what was right. But there's also times when he just comes in and says, I'm going to show you something, and I want to let you know that your doctrine is not right on. And a lot of times it'll deal with grace and mercy because we never fully understand grace and mercy. We don't really understand that everything we have is because of God's grace. And how many times do we somehow, even as Christians, we know that we are saved by grace, not by works, lest any man should boast, and yet we'll go, God, I've got it all together. I've been worshiping you. I go to church. I read my Bible. I've, my life is all put together, and I deserve good things. And we might not be quite that bold to say it, but you know, if you really looked at your, your mindset sometimes, that's exactly what you think. And God says, uh, let me just show you that it's all about grace. And he puts things in perspective for us. And this is the hard thing. We love grace, and yet we have a hard time with grace. Because grace means I had nothing to do with it. And our pride keeps kicking up and going, God, you must love me because I go to church every week. You must love me because I am praying. You, you know, God, I'm witnessing. I'm doing whatever. Put your, put your whatever in there. And you start thinking, God, you, you love me just because I'm doing these things. And God says, no, I just love you because of grace. He died for the, the sinners that hated him and doesn't love us more when we accept him because he already loves us completely enough to die for us. And I truly believe when people go to hell, God is probably going to be crying. You got what you wanted, but it is not what I wanted. And he's, there, I believe there will be tears in his eyes as he gives them what they deserve. And he'll know that they deserve it, so maybe there won't be, but I really believe he's going to be very sad. Here's another one that rejected my gift. And that's got to hurt. It's got to hurt him to have his gift rejected. Even though he knows millions and billions will, and maybe even trillions will, reject that gift. And he's saying, come, just accept, repent. And telling the people, and the prophet is saying, God, you deceived. <laughs> you deceived us because evil is still coming. And in this case, the people are not doing, they're, they're not going out. Then he says in verse 11, At that time shall it be said of the people to Jerusalem, a dry wind of the high places of the wilderness toward the daughter of my people, to fan and not, uh, nor to cleanse, not to fan nor to cleanse. This dry wind he's talking about is for, for them would be the east wind off the desert. Dry wind, it withered things. It was not a useful wind, it was hot. Uh, so they wouldn't go out, they, they, they couldn't go out in it because it was, just, it was miserable. If you had to go out, you were in trouble. It was a dust, dusty wind, it was a dry wind. We, we've experienced some of those around here every once in a while when it comes from just the right direction. And for them, it usually came from the east. And it was just a dry, miserable heat. And they couldn't use it. They, they couldn't go out and work and use the wind to, to toss the grain and... and and get rid of the shaft because it was just too hot. It was too dry. 
They could not get out. And we know what that's like sometimes when it gets so hot that you're just miserable stepping out the door. Now, put, in, put your time in their time when they didn't even have air conditioning. And this was a wind that did not cool things down. It made things just as hot or hotter. It, you know, it felt like an oven blast coming at you all the time. And it says it was, and God sent this so that the people would repent. And he's going, you can't do anything with it. Even a full wind from those places shall come. Now also I will give sentence against them. So God said, I'm going to make this, and this is my sentence. This harsh discipline that is going to make them miserable. And it's hard sometimes to think about this. You know, God doing things that will cause pain to get us to turn to him. Now, when we're going through the pain, we're not looking at the fact that God wants us to turn to him. All we're feeling is miserable. Why would God do this to me? And I kind of think back, back when I was a kid, and, you know, I've said this, my dad, and many, many have said this, you know, getting ready for spank, and he goes, this is going to hurt me more than it hurts you. And I remember as a kid thinking, yeah, sure, I'm the one that won't be able to sit down when you're done. But you know what? The first time I had to spank one of my kids, I really understood what he, what he was saying. I had to inflict pain on that child so they would not repeat the, the infraction that they had done before. That is what God's attitude with us. He is not trying to hurt us when he sends discipline. He is trying to give us enough pain that we do not want to repeat the infraction again. And for some stubborn people, that takes a lot of pain. For some people, it's just an easy, don't do that anymore. And they turn. Uh, I've never been that easy with God you know, until recent years. I'm getting better. I'm getting better at listening to him right off. But I was very, very stubborn in my younger years. And it took you know, a long time for me to be convinced and increasing of pain. <laughs> and this is the Jewish people. He keeps increasing their pain, increasing their discipline. And then he says in verse, verse 13, Behold, he shall come as the clouds, and his chariot shall be as a whirlwind. His horses are swifter than eagles. Woe to us, for we are spoiled. So God comes in now. He goes, my word, my discipline. I've sent you some physical problems with your crops and, and your life. He goes, now I come as a warrior. My chariots, my warriors. And in so many cases, it was literal warriors when he would send other nations in to take them. And again, think back in our lives. How many times have you felt like God has sent an army against you because of where you're at? You know, and we want to be very careful about this. We've already talked about, you know, when right now we are a church that is moving forward of God and Satan does not want that for moving forward and we've gotten all kinds of trials from him. Yeah, and we have health issues, we're having family issues, we're having all kinds of issues in this church trying to stop what's going on. And I'm hoping that this revival at the end of this month is going to be a big deal and that God is going to really move. If he doesn't, whatever's coming next will be what's coming. He is going to move in this town, I'm sure of it. Otherwise, Satan wouldn't be trying to stop all the people from getting things done. When God moves, do we have enough trust in God to say, 
God, you're going to move. I trust you because I know that his heart is for salvation. All we have to do is endure and watch what he does because it's going to be a gift of grace and mercy when he moves. Nobody deserves a revival. This country doesn't deserve revival. Our city doesn't deserve revival. We don't deserve revival. And yet God will say, by my grace, here's a revival. I'm expecting it. I'm expecting to see it happen and waiting to see what God is going to do and get excited and bring praise. And yet, it seems oftentimes like God is moving against the sin. And all of it comes down to, are we willing to repent and turn to him and ask for forgiveness of our sins and go forward? So is it fair to say that God causes things to happen to remove He allows things to happen more to test our, our trust in him. Uh, because true trust means I'm going to trust God no matter what. And I see this wall of things going wrong against me. My tendency in the flesh is to not trust. And true trust says I'm going to continue trusting. And then I get to the other side of the wall and then I see the fulfillment of that trust. Because I, the moment I give up, I am showing that I have not trusted in him. And it goes into the same, you know, so many stories where somebody is mining for gold and they're digging, they're digging, they're digging, they spend years digging and they finally give up and they sell their, sell their claim and somebody comes in and hits the, hits the mother load right after that. They stopped one step, one pickaxe too early. And do we trust God? Oftentimes we stop trusting him one pickaxe too early and don't see the blessing because we have given up on our trust. If our trust is truly in God, it should continue. And God is saying, I'm going to see how much is your trust? Where is your trust going to end? How far are you going to trust? And he knows when we're going to stop. He may still bless us even if we do stop because he already knew when we were going to stop. But the key to all of this is, what is trust? Do we truly trust God? And it's not easy. Believe me, it's not easy. And the more you trust him, the more difficult it will be before he says, okay, you got it. And then he gives you the bigger, bigger issue to trust on. Yeah. And this is the way God is. Our faith is going to be tested. Do we truly believe is always going to be his question. Whatever doctrine it is that we're following, for by grace are you saved through faith, and God's going to say, okay, do you really believe it's grace? Let's test this. You think your works are there. I'm going to show you that your works are not where they're going to be. Are you going to still trust in your grace? You know, God, my favorite verse, all things work together for good. You know, sometimes I think a lot of bad things happen to me because I really truly believe that verse, and God is saying, how much do you believe this verse? You know, I am going to, I'm going to pull the whole rug out from under your world, and are you going to believe? And you can pick any verse of the, you know, in the Bible. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean on into your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he shall direct your path. 
you're going to be going through a lot of things. Am I going to trust in God with all my heart, or am I going to lean into my own understanding? That one is very hard for all of us. When we start seeing everything fall apart, and we know that God wants us to do something, but the world is saying it is not a very wise move, we're very tempted to lean on our own understanding. You know, somebody deciding to give tithing for the first time. You know what happens when somebody f decides to start tithing? Their finances go crazy. Because God is allowing them, okay, you said you were going to tithe. I've asked you for your tithe. Are you going to tithe even when it looks like it's not going to, to work? And sometimes people give up. They go, huh, <laughs> I, this tithing thing's not working. I, I'm, not, I'm not getting blessed. And they don't give it enough time because they're responding to trusting in their own thoughts and not in God. You know, you can pick any doctrine in the Bible and watch what will happen when you, God really puts it on your heart. Get ready for the test on that doctrine to see if you really truly believe it. You know, we're to love one another. You know, wow, as soon as you decide, God, I really want to grab hold of it, I'm really going to love the church. And then somebody will start coming to church that you just can't stand. Somebody will start doing things that you can't handle. And God's saying, well, I thought you were going to, I thought we were going to, you were going to love them as I loved the church. Okay, God, I don't know about this. You know, pick any one of those and you'll find that you will be directly tested in the doctrine that God is working on in your life. Why? Because he wants to show us that we don't truly believe like we think we do. And then once you pass that first test, he'll get you a little harder test. You know, a little harder test, a little harder. Love, love one another as Christ loved the church. You know, we start with the church members. We start with the active church members. The ones that come on Sunday night and Wednesday night are probably easier to love. Then he'll say, okay, I want you to love that person that's coming on Sunday morning. Oh, by the way, I want you to love your neighbor who doesn't go to church. The one that's obnoxious and always, always making fun of you. I want you, you know, and he'll pick all kinds of people. And that's just getting in love. You know, it doesn't matter what doctrine you're working on. God will teach you and he'll keep intensifying that doctrine and get you to where you want to be more like him. And it's hard. It's kind of depressing on one sense but, that's, that sense, but that's the sanctification he's making in us. He is making us more like him. And his love is perfect. His kindness is perfect. His uh, free will giving is perfect. And he's just saying, I want you to be more like me. And it gets hard. <laughs> it gets hard sometimes. And like I say, you know, sometimes people look at it and we can be very, you know, looking at somebody who's been walking with God for a long time and God is, you know, really working on their life and going, wow, I don't want to go through what they're going through. Well, you won't have to until you get where they're at. You know, and that's the key to this. You know, I don't want to look at somebody who's newly Christian going, God, why can't you give me tests like they're going through? Those are easy tests. Well, they weren't easy when I was a young child, you know, young Christian either. They may be now, but they're not. It wasn't when I was going through it. By the same token, I don't want people looking at somebody that's been around Christ for a long time, has worked out a lot of things, saying, "Oh, I don't. Want, I mean, I don't want to follow God. Look, look what they had to go through." 
And I look at people sometimes, I'm going, wow, God, what, where have you taken them that they are going through these kind of things? Why do they have to go through such horrible things in their life? Where are they with you that, that you find that they can go through those things? Now, the problem is it could be either way. Maybe God's disciplining them. Maybe he's, maybe he's rewarding them for their faithfulness. I don't know. But we need to be able to say, I trust God. I am following God, and I'm going to honor him, even when it looks like all hell's breaking loose against my life. And it's like, God, I just trust you. Be in me. Crucify my flesh. And that's all he's trying to do is crucify our flesh. And he will do what it takes to crucify our flesh. Put us through hell if that's what it takes. Give us great testing if that's what it takes. But he's going to say, I want you to lean on me. Lean on me. And that's all that he wants is to lean on him, not our own strength. He wants to break our own strength. You know, he wants to just to know that there hath no temptation overtaken us, but such is common to man. But God is faithful who will provide a way of escape. That escape is Jesus. The testing will break me. And that's what it's designed to do. It's designed to break me and my flesh and make me turn to him and say, God, you're my only way out of this trial. If I try to, you know, he's going to keep loading the weights on, the, on that bell until I collapse without him. And he says, well, oh, you want me? Okay. And he just picks it up and says, I got it. But if I don't turn to him and ask for his help, I'll keep putting, those weights will come down and eventually crush me under the, under, the weight, under the weight of the trial. Because that is what the purpose of it is. To break me and my flesh and make me turn to him. And then I go, God, it's yours. I want, you know, cast all your burdens on him for he cares for you. Take my yoke upon you, upon you for I care for you. My burden, your, my burden is light. <laughs> All right. So he says, I'll take your burdens. You, get, you take my burden. And he says, it's a light burden. I like, the, I like God's exchanges for us. Yeah. It's, it's so interesting. The world wants just what God does. He takes all the pain and gives us the easy way out. He, he does all the work and gives us the pay. You know, he rewards us and he did all the work. He takes, all the, he takes it and gives us the credit. And that's exactly what the world wants, but they don't want to do it God's way. Now, and it's really bizarre how Satan has twisted everything. And remember always that Satan is a liar. He is a counterfeiter. If Satan is doing something, there's something real behind what he counterfeits. Because nobody in their right mind is going to counterfeit a $4 bill. You know, uh, here's your $4 bill. What are you talking about? There's no such thing as a $4 bill. Well, here it is. It's, see, it says United States Treasury on it. No, it is, a, it is counterfeit. It is not real. Satan always counterfeits the real. And so when we see all these false religions out there, they're counterfeits of the real. When he talks about all the different ways to heaven, he's counterfeiting the real way to heaven. 
He's got all kinds of counterfeits for love and counterfeits for friendship. If everything that God has, Satan has a counterfeit for, and usually many counterfeits. And we need to understand when we know God's ways, we stick with God's ways and do not fall in to the counterfeits. How do we know that they're counterfeits? We get to know God. And this goes back to the, you know, if you've ever heard the story, how are treasury agents taught to find counterfeits? Well, for months, all they do is handle real money, real money, real money, real money. And then on their final test, and they don't even know when that test is coming, they'll slip one counterfeit bill into the whole, whole bundle. And they will just sense, because they're so used to the real one, it'll stand out. And then they'll look at it a little closer and find all the things that are wrong with it because they, know, they also know what's wrong with it because they're taught what, what is wrong and what is right. Do we fully understand God's word well enough to understand when a counterfeit comes? The Holy Spirit helps us. The Holy Spirit will be there to help us. When we hear something that's not right, the Holy Spirit will sound some alarms in the back of our mind saying, pay attention counterfeit has been presented to you a lie has been presented to you and I've shared this many times there's times when I'm just usually the Christian radio is on in the background I'm not paying a whole lot of attention to it a lot of times but every once in a while the hairs on my back of my head will stand up and it's like what did that guy just say and I'll start listening a little closer and I'm going okay this guy goes off for a while and sometimes there are good teachers that go go off on some some crazy tangent so the Holy Spirit will guide you. Knowing God's word will guide you. Don't fall for the counterfeits and be taught. Verse 14 says, O Jerusalem, wash your heart from wickedness that you may be saved. How long shall your vain thoughts lodge within you? I love this. Wash your heart. The word heart in here is the word Hebrew word lab. It means the innermost being, the seat of your emotions. So he's not just talking about, he's saying wash the innermost part of you where you actually are thinking, where your emotions come from, where you actually dwell. Wash it. And this is very important that you may be saved. So he's going right back to this. Quit doing the externals. Quit going out to the, the, the sanctuary and offering sacrifices. You know, quit wailing in sackcloth and all that other stuff. Wash your heart. Clean inside. Repent. Turn to God. And this is what he's always going. And then you're saved. You're going to be rescued. And this is what God is always looking at for us. Are we repenting? and turning our heart and having our heart washed. And the only way we can wash our heart is through the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes in and washes our heart, but we have to allow it. God is a gentleman. He doesn't come in saying, well, I'm going to make you, I'm going to make the Holy Spirit come in and wash you. We're going to knock down the door of your heart. We're going to break down those doors and all those locks. And we're going to wash and clean this heart out. He waits for the invitation. Now, once you've invited him, that's another story. <laughs> You invited him, and he's going to come in and go, okay, you invited me? We're going to really scrub this thing out. We're going to really clean. And it says, how long shall your vain thoughts lodge within you? Vain, empty. 
How long will we give empty thoughts toward God? Empty thoughts toward his word. And it is easy to get into this emptiness because the world is feeding into us all the time. And this takes us back to what are we feeding ourselves with? Am I in God's word? Am I in, in the house of God? Am I listening to messages? Am I listening to what God wants or am all I'm feeding myself with the world's point of view? And I'm not saying that you have to totally get rid of TV and, and secular music and all of that. But if it's the bulk of what you're listening to and you're not in God's word, you've got a problem. I've always loved it. People going, well, I don't listen to the words of the songs. I'm only listening to the beat as they sing every word to every song that comes on. And they give you the lyrics to the songs that they were listening to. I go, I thought you weren't listening to why I don't. Uh-huh. All right, you're, you've got a problem here. <laughs> you are in deception. Okay, and we need to be able to say, what am I feeding myself with? I am getting to the point where I don't want to deal with secular music and secular movies and secular television and all that. I don't want to feed myself with any garbage. Now, I don't expect, it's taken me 50 years to get to this point. I don't expect new Christians all of a sudden to say, I'm giving up everything. Because if they do that, they're going to fall back. It takes time to get to this point. I moved from secular music to Christian music. Then I moved to, to preaching. And then, you know, and then I got convicted of the television shows that I'm watching. And now I don't even watch hardly any television at all. Because, not because I am preaching against it, it's just nothing wholesome in it. I want my heart clean. And I, and you know, in my house, the only show that, you know, there's only two channels that really play on mine, and then both of them play oldies, the things that are supposed to be good. And I look at them and say, and why would anybody think that these shows are godly and wholesome? Compared to today's, they are, get me, don't get me wrong, compared to today's garbage, they're extremely wholesome, but compared to God's word, I don't see them as, as all that wholesome. And what are we feeding ourselves? What are we washing our heart and our minds with and feeding it with? What kind of books do we read? What kind of stories are we reading? What kind of music are we listening to? You know, and I've come to the place where I don't even really like most of the Christian music. Because a lot of it could have been written and played on secular channels and played for their boyfriend or girlfriend just as easily as it could have been for God. And so I have problems with even most of that. Now, don't no, no, get me wrong, there's a lot of good music out there in the Christian world too, but they play about half their music. That it's like, why is this being played on a Christian channel? It doesn't make much sense. It's not, I don't hear God's name. I don't hear his truth being brought up. So... Where are we at? What are we paying attention to? What are we washing our hearts with? Because it takes all of that to get in there, and we do not want to feed it with vain or empty thoughts. And then he goes on to say, A voice declared from Dan and published from the Mount Ephraim, Make you mention unto the nations, Behold, publish against Jerusalem, that watchers come from a far country and give their voices against the cities of Judah. He's saying that when they fall, it will be published. And this is quite interesting. How many times, hopefully it hasn't been you, 
But how many times have you heard of a Christian sinning openly in front of people and everybody around knows? It's published. Look at some of these evangelists that have gone into adultery or fornication and then it comes out and everybody knows about it. Because God's saying, you did not repent, you would not confess. And God, in the New Testament, it says that our sins will be shouted from the housetops. God does not let his children sin without repentance and correction. Now, if we respond and we repent, God will cover it. If he has to make it come out into the open, he will make it come out into the open. And then all the embarrassment that comes up. And we kind of look at, God, why would you tear, tear apart the testimony of the church and your people just to make these things open? And God says, because I am God. I want righteousness. I'm not having hidden sin. Because even though it was quote-unquote hidden, there were a lot of lives damaged. You know, if somebody's committing fornication and adultery, they're harming multiple lives, not just their own. And then they're eventually going to harm the testimony anyway. So God will bring it out and say, this is wrong. And the hope is that they'll repent and confess their sins and turn back to God. And then God gets the victory because he says, now here's my grace and my mercy. And I'm going to be exalted by my grace and my mercy on this person not getting what they deserve because of their repentance. And he, in the long run, gets lifted up even higher because he says, this is, this is who I am. I'm grace and mercy. Do we need to really understand God is wanting to be exalted for his grace and his mercy. The son died so that we can have grace and mercy. And it's what he wants to be known for. He doesn't want to be known for his anger and viciousness. He's willing to do it if that's what it takes to get somebody to turn to him. But his great desire is to give grace and mercy. And for us, we need to really understand grace and mercy. It's one of the reasons I love amazing grace. John Newton saw God's grace in the middle of the storm when he got saved as a slave trader and he got saved and he understood he did not deserve to be rescued from that ship. He wasn't even thinking about hell. He, did not, he knew he did not deserve to be rescued from the middle of the hurricane that he was in. And he was able to get through the hurricane and he goes, it was by God's grace. Now he didn't write the song until many years later when he was a pastor, but he understood grace in a way that most people did not understand it. We need to really get to the place where we understand grace. I don't deserve anything good that I'm getting. I deserve nothing but punishment. And this is the whole point that is being made here. Clean your heart. The publishing of these, of these, of these things. And verse 17 says, And the keepers of the field, are they against her round about? Because she has been rebellious against me, says the Lord. Jerusalem has rebelled, is what he's saying. They've been rebelled. They deserve it. And verse 18, it says, the, Your way and your doings have procured these things unto you. This is your wickedness. 
because it is bitter, because it is reached into your heart, your innermost being. When evil comes upon us, in reality, it's what we deserve. Our actions have caused it. Now again, we want to be careful because there is this side where we're via Job, where God is trying to just get us. But even in Job's actions, God was saying, I want to correct your bad doctrine. All right? And God's testimony of Job was that he was a perfect and righteous man, but his doctrine needed to be corrected and said, God, Job, I understand that you hate evil. You're offering sacrifices, but you don't fully understand my grace. And he put him through all of that so that he could bring a revealing of his mercy and his grace to Job in a deeper, stronger way. So on one side, you can say Job deserved everything he got. All right? Because God was saying, I want to reteach you. I want you to re-understand. So even when he's doing something for us just to learn about him better, there's something wrong in our life that is needing to be corrected. And this is the thing that we always have to understand. We keep thinking that I don't deserve this. Well, if we think that we don't deserve whatever's coming our way, we've got a lot to learn about who we are. And, you know, and this is the problem. I, I had one person that came to church. She got, she got mad at me because I said that we have an evil heart that can't be understood. And she's going, well, I got a new heart. God took out my heart of stone and put a new heart of flesh in me. And I'm going, I understand that. But you still have an evil heart that wants to do wrong. Otherwise, you would not do wrong. We do wrong because internally, because of the sin nature, we want to do wrong. Plain and simple. If we didn't want to sin, we wouldn't sin. Yeah. And yes, I understand. I, in my mind, do not want to sin, generally. But I still find myself sinning. Because my heart, the deepest part of me, is sinful. And even though God is changing me and sanctifying me and correcting me, I still have a heart that is not completely sanctified. And God is working it out, working it out, working it out. I'm closer to being sanctified than I was 50 years ago. And if I get to live another 150, 200 years, maybe I'll be closer to perfect sanctification. I'll still not be perfectly sanctified, but I'll be closer. And we we do get closer and closer to the sanctification of God with each passing year and decade that we let the Holy Spirit sanctify us. But we'll never be perfect in this lifetime. And if we do, then we'll be Elijah or Enoch and we'll go home real quick. Because God will say, you're there, come on. Bring it, bringing you home, you're, you, you've made it. <laughs> but we're not, we're not going to get there. there only two people in all the people who have ever lived got, got raptured early and didn't have to die. I don't think I'm ever going to be one of them. I've got a lot of stuff that God still needs to work out of my heart. But this is what he's saying. Get rid of the vain thoughts. Get rid of the empty things. Think of things that are going to be honest and useful and of value. Quit thinking of the empty things. And we all spend way too much time thinking on the empty things that that are around us. And this is why Jesus said he came to bring division. You know, he came to bring people making decisions to follow him rather than what the world says. 
that your family is not going to like it when you choose God. And that happens a lot of times. If they're not godly, and their initial reaction is, you're choosing God above me. You're spending all your time with God. Why, why are you doing that? Now, if they do get saved, then they understand where you're coming from, and it makes things all better. But there's a division that will happen. When you first start choosing to follow God, others do not like it. Family does not like it. Those relationships that you used to have that you thought were good friends don't like it. Because they look at you and say, you think you're better than us. You think, you, you think you're something, you know, whatever they might say. And they break away from you or try to pressure you to leave God and come back to them. All of this stuff is where is our trust? Where is our heart? That's all I'm going to go for today. <laughs> Lord, we ask you to bless this evening. Lord, help us to seek you in all we, that we do and to follow you. Lord, we lift up this Saturday with the tracks being passed out. And Lord, we ask that you have your hand on each one of these bags and the track in them, that the right track, right, right bag will get to the right person because only you can control that. And we just ask, Lord, that we will see people get saved through, these, through this activity. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Listening friends, do you know God? Not just know about him. Today is the day to decide to become his child. God loves you, and Jesus came to die for your sins. In Romans 3.23, we are told, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. We all have sinned. God says the penalty for sin is death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. We sin and deserve death and hell. However, Romans 5.8 says, but God commended his love toward us that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God loves you so much, he died for us so that we can be forgiven and have eternal life. How do we do this? Romans 10, 9 through 8 says that if you shall confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you shall be saved. For with the heart man believes unto righteousness, and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. Today is that day for you to come to God and truly know him. Do you know him? Do you want to know him? Pray in your own words like this. God, I know that I am a sinner and deserve punishment. I believe that Jesus died to pay my sins. Forgive me and help me to turn from my sins and to live for you. If you have asked this of God and truly believe you are God's child and part of, of his family, we encourage you to do these things. First, tell somebody that you are saved. Second, start reading the Bible each day. We recommend starting with Ephesians and then the Gospel of John. Find a good Bible teaching church. If this is your, your day of salvation, you can contact us and we will send you a booklet to get started on your new life and are available to help you with any questions you have about the Bible. You can contact us by email at office at chloridebaptistchurch.com or by mail at Chloride Baptist Church, P.O. Box 65, Chloride, Arizona, 86431.